You're listening to SequelCast 2 and Friends, a proud part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is SequelCast. They are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is sequel cast, and your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergi, and we are looking at a, uh, a four-movie series. I think a lot of people don't know there's four movies in this based off a comic book. And this was kind of came out before you had the, the, the comic book renaissance of um, Spider-Man and X-Men and, and all those sort of things in the late 90s, uh, directed by Alex Proyas, based on a comic by James O'Barr, written uh, with a screenplay by David J. Shaw and John Shirley. We're going to be talking about the original uh, Crow movie for the month of October-ish uh, and go through its uh, sequels uh, in the weeks to come. With me is Thrasher. Morphine. It's bad for you. And Alex. It's raining, it's pouring, and everyone's wearing leather. <laughs> I thought you were going to go for it's the raining men joke, but that works too. <laughs> As the, uh, I'm looking at the poster here, Believe in Angels. Um, this was my first time watching the movie, believe it or not. You know, I had a friend that basically dressed like the crow all the time. He was a goth, right? And and now he's like a, a judge somewhere. So, um why that to boss yeah it's it, i mean i thought about him a lot when i was watching this just with the hairstyle stuff and i used to when i could do my hair longer i kind of looked like this i dyed my hair black for a spell in college as a former uh, as a friend of the show um georgia jason i believe he goes by now he said i my hair looks cartoonishly black and uh, he was correct um yeah i mean the crow i i've never read the comic i and, and watching this it wasn't quite what i thought it was but alex proyas i i loved his work in uh dark city pretty much is what i'm familiar yeah. with well this is one of those movies that if you had even if you haven't seen it if you grew up in that period during the 90s you had a pretty good idea of what it was all about and what like the style was and the whole like way it informed golf culture um this was a this movie's a big deal big movie um culturally and uh in terms of uh and cinematically it is like the soundtrack and the style and everything like that mm-hmm. it was a pretty big deal this so the, yeah this movie is 90s tragically hip personified it contains so like it, it contains so much so many oh yeah the 90s were like that kind of moments uh right and then beyond that this is this is a movie i have a weird personal history with <laughs> Oh, this is oh! A movie where, like, if aliens landed on Earth and were like, "What were the '90s like?" I would give them like Clueless, Pulp Fiction, and The Crow. <laughs> <laughs> Clueless is a good call, yeah, with the the clothes, and you have um, Paul Rudd's in that, and Paul Rudd who doesn't seem to age. Yeah, uh, and for me, watching this, the first thing that came to mind, we've been uh, over here at the studio, we've been watching a whole lot of Shit's Creek, and. There's uh, mild spoilers for Schitt's Creek coming. One of the main characters in it, Moira Rose, played by the excellent uh, Catherine O'Hara, is like a former soap opera act- actress. And there's a running plot line in the, in the last few seasons that she gets a role for a film 
uh, I think it's filming in um, in Bosnia called The Crows Have Eyes 3, The Crowning. Oh, good title. <laughs> and you get to see footage of, of this in different parts of the show. And so every time there is a cut to a close-up in The Crow, which is quite a lot, I kept giggling because I was <laughs> thinking of the Shit's Creek joke. Uh, so, so Alex, when was the first time you s- saw this movie? Did you watch it, you know, like when it came out and all the cool kids were watching it? So this was kind of like, this was one of the ultimate like hot take, uh, forbidden movies growing up because, um, mm. there was so much, it was, you know, so steeped in controversy because of the obvious tragedy of, uh, Brandon Lee. But, um, I remember for some reason we were like watching it like as like a family and like, I was probably like eight or nine oh, at wow. this point. So, like, mm-hmm. about ten minutes into it, I remember the exact line. It's when the crow is killing, um, what's his name, Tintin? Yeah, and he's like, the knives, like, yeah. like, you raped her, you killed her. And I remember him saying, like, oh, I got her pink little ass. And that line was, like, the shutdown. That was like, okay, <laughs> we're, we're not doing this. You know, you're going to bed. <laughs> um, so that, like, so this was always kind of, like, a big, like, kind of, like, ooh, like, forbidden flick. Um, so I had seen it a couple years later on. I thought it was pretty cool. So then watching it in preparation for the show, I was kind of curious to see how it was going to hold up. And, um, you know, I really admire it. It's, um, the film knows exactly what it wants to be. Uh, there's some things that haven't aged so well, but, you know, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, it's, so does that mean, you know, now when you have Thanksgiving with your family, you, you say like a pink little ass is a a joke. (laughs) I don't think anyone would remember. They probably tried hard. (laughs) They they blocked it out. My family has the exact same thing, but with the best of Eddie Murphy SNL VHS tape compilation. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, huh. Okay, so was that one of those best of tapes that just had two back-to-back episodes, or was it actual clips? No, it was it was actually like okay. the best sketches from when yeah, he yeah. was on the show and when he, and when he hosted. And and it was it was great, because like the, the fir- if I remember correctly, the first thing on that tape is the James Brown hot tub sketch. Which is oh, great, mm-hmm. uh, and like, and of course, my family is just cracking up. The very next sketch, Mister Robinson's neighborhood, and we did not get through that sketch. Oh come on, that's great. <laughs> and when he was back on SNL, that was great. He won a special award for that, I think, or uh, an Emmy or something. Um, so, so my history with this film, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not see this uh, when it came out. This this was probably. This was probably the first time in my life something became so popular so fast I couldn't mm. believe it was good, so I just didn't engage with it. <laughs> yes. um, I didn't see this movie uh, until uh, until my first year of college. Oh, okay. Uh, and you know, and my my roommate uh, at good old Oglethorpe House uh, oh, had barf. Okay, so who's your roommate? I didn't know you were at the dorms. I guess they force you to do it initially. Well, oh, it was it was my choice. Uh, I okay. I had. I actually did have the option of being on uh, on campus or off campus with housing, and I decided to do on campus because I'm I'm the kind of person that wants everything I've ever seen in the movies, so I really wanted like a dorm room experience. Mm. Um, so yeah, so you know I had a, I had a roommate. He was a, he was a nice guy. He was I believe he was a product design. He was either product design. No, no, I'm sorry. He was doing he was getting into computer animation. That's why he was there. Uh, yeah, he had it on VHS, and so I borrowed it uh, one night uh, and or one weekend, and just uh, just you know watched it. But I, I mentioned I had a, a history with this movie. So yes. when this, uh, so uh, around the time that this movie came out, I had a friend in in uh, in school uh, named Brandon, who swore up and down he was in this movie. Uh, and but but of course his scene was cut. 
but he had a copy of the scene on VHS for his reel. And what made mm. the made the story plausible is that he had moved to Norfolk, Virginia from Los Angeles. Okay. So like so you know hypothetically, yeah, maybe maybe that is the case. And and of course, uh every, and and of course all of our mutual friends are like, "Oh no, yeah, we've seen the tape. He's 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 in it. We've seen the scene. There was like some scene involving like a gang of like young teens and preteens like robbing a liquor store or something." Okay. Um, I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I was being put on. I have no idea why everyone else went on with it. Although at the same time, they never had that kids being bad at lying smirk when they were right. saying, "No, we saw the tape. He was in it." It was a it was a weird it was a just a weird moment. And so like that just that everything I knew about the crow was just that a f- guy I knew who's probably lying said he was in it, and that's all I knew <laughs> until until I saw it uh, in uh, saw it in college. That sounds like a line you would, you know, make up to use at a bar. I know, right? <laughs> so you're a big fan of the crow, huh? <laughs> you know, you know who was in the crow? This guy. This yeah. guy. <laughs> they cut my scene, though. You know, creative differences. Yeah, yeah. Creative differences is the biggest like bullshit line ever. That's. Oh yeah. Or it's it's like that or exhaustion, right? Right, Those right. So never exhaustion. <laughs> But I was, but uh, J- so James O. James O'Barr, who created the Crow comic upon which uh, the film the film was based, he he was an interesting figure because th- this, you know, he he was known, you know, in, in independent comics, and he this this movie made him like really famous. If, 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 to an extent, the 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 crow the crow. So when when Batman eighty nine came out, everyone was looking for the new Batman. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like mm-hmm. this this movie was it. This yeah, oh yeah. was the big comic book franchise that, outside of Batman, up at at this era, had the most success uh, on screen. And James O'Barts, it's interesting because there there was a great interview he did on the Sci Fi Channel. They used to have a, a, a Sci Fi Entertainment show called Sci Fi Buzz, which was really fascinating. They had a great interview with him. And the reason the reason this comic came about is that his his girlfriend had uh been killed by a drunk driver and just like the grief from that mm-hmm. turning into this comic about a vengeful spirit you know who avenge who avenges people who die who died you know too early um and in the interview he was talking cuz like in the, when he gave the interview i think he was like in his late 30s early 40s at this point and he was just talking about, yeah, yeah, I started working on this in my 20s, you know, after you know someone very close to me died very tragically. Uh, and I pro- now, now, like now looking back at my early work, I did not handle that death in a very healthy way. Oh, wow. And mm. that's reflected yeah. in the crowd. <laughs> And, I th- and, and, and there's true, like there, there's a raw emotionality to this story. Uh, like the emotion, the emotions are real, but they certainly aren't being processed in a healthy fashion. Right, right. Well, it's and healthier it's to say. Part of the, sorry, here you go. Oh, it's healthier to do it as a comic, say, than. Well, well, then to actually, like, yeah, take actually, to yeah. try to become a grim Avenger, yeah. What was that, Alex? Oh, um, I will say though, it does fit in with the very, you know, angsty, marketable, um, you know. Uh, gothy rocker uh, vibe mm-hmm. that it's going for. It, it is very angsty and it is very, um, you know, uh, it is very moody, angsty, and it does very much court those kind of uh, sometimes inappropriate or, uh, you know, oddball feelings that coincide with uh, emotional tumult, we'll say. 
Um, but one thing that really stuck out to me, aside from how uh, terrific Brandon Lee is, uh, was and how tragic it is that he's not no longer with us, um, this really is a who's who of terrific uh, character actors from the 80s and 90s. With, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, David Patrick Kelly and Michael Wincott. Um, Ernie Hudson, obviously. Um, Michael Massey, Tony Todd, John Polito. This is like a, ca- a crazy great cast. And like Bai Ling is in this, and she's actually acting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, pretty young at that, for that matter, because um, she would be in other stuff later. Yeah, I, it was quite something. I mean, I, I do like the uh, the cinematography by Darius Wolski is is great. This is a very moody looking movie, and um, it's worth mentioning. Brandon Lee, the star of this, was the son of Bruce Lee, and. Uh, he he died while the movie was shooting. Um, I think I mentioned this in another episode, but Shudder has a good series called Cursed from Jay Cheel that looks into uh, kind of movies that have, have curses around them, and The Crow is one of them. And mm-hmm. they talk to uh, a lot of people that are on the set and, and stuff, and it's, uh, it's, it's just awful. It's just to save a few bucks in the state in which they filmed yeah. this, they didn't need the weapons guy on set the whole time they could just use his like cheap assistant or something and had the real guy been on there this wouldn't have happened but right. also interestingly enough the scene in which uh you know what was supposed to be a blank got fired at brandon lee and something was in the chamber and, and just uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I looked i looked into this so yeah the, yeah the the prop firearm was loaded with blanks however in a previous take a casing from one of the blanks got, I think, lodged in the barrel. Yep. Now, yeah. normally, if you had a competent like, weapons wrangler on your set, sure. they would clear they would clear all the guns between takes. Well, the gun wasn't cleared, so this casing was still in the chamber. So when the ne- second blank went off on the next take, it, ha- it had enough force that it forced the uh, the casing out, and the casing is what what hit Brandon Lee and what eventually cost him his life. Yeah, and it's really sad, and it's really shitty, and like you said, the circumstances of it are horrible. And the the one thing um, to bring it uh, to reference that cursed uh, thing on Shutter, they do a really good job in breaking it down because there's a lot of stupid rumors that surround mm-hmm. this film that like, oh, someone put a bullet when there shouldn't have been one, or it was a Shanghai you know, Triad. Uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah, all the stupid, disrespectful shit, and it's just you know what it really comes down to is just you know ineptitude on account of uh you know the the crew around the pyrotechnics and the the you know the props and everything and the result is a a, a very dead and sad you know circumstance of, of the crazy probably. thing for me from that cursed episode is uh one of it, it wasn't the director i think it might have been like a perhaps like a stunt guy or something was suggesting the scene originally as written was going to have uh the crow uh, doing a knife fight but the last second they're like hey why don't we have it with guns instead yeah, and I think um, mm. I think that was odd. And also, um, one of the things I think is interesting is that I think one of the only flaws of the film is that they didn't make it more... I think they could have made it a little more martial arts-oriented, giving Brandon Lee's obvious skill sure. in that skill set in that right. field. But um, it's, film, it's a film that is doing its own thing, and it's got its own vibe. But, um, but yeah, I remember even when this came out, there was all this buzz that, like, oh, the, the footage of him getting killed is actually in the movie and all this other stupid mm. stuff. And, of course, that's not the case because that's horrible. It wouldn't be the case. Um, but, yeah, a lot of weird bad juju um, going on with the whole death of Brandon Lee thing. 
Um, yeah. The it, it cast it cast a very, very grim pallor over the re- of the release of the film. Yes. It gave the film a reputation. The other thing, and I think this had a lot to do with helping the film's legacy and making it a success. So th- uh, this um, around this time. TV shows about how special effects were done were really popular. Yeah, and the movie Magic this, was one of this, Yeah, this movie got a disproportionate amount of coverage across the board mm. on all those shows and on like entertainment news magazine shows that because the film was like 90% complete when Brendan Lee died, their solution for completing the film was to use early CGI and image compositing to essentially put Brandon Lee's animated face on a stunt double on a few scenes to kind of do to finish out the film's connective tissue to make it suitable for release and that was just constantly talked about on these shows it was a staple of these special how how they did it special effects shows from uh the weeks before the movie was released to after the movie came out on home video yeah, I mean, we were talking about CGI before that term really even existed. And if, sadly, this film is actually tailor-made for doing something like that because it's very dark. You have a lot of uh, close-ups yes. of the star. Um, you can do a lot of post-audio stuff. So, sadly, you know, you can do a lot of creative editing tricks. And even knowing that going into it, though, I didn't really that, – that didn't really pop out so much. I mean, there was a few times where I kind of said to myself, like, ah, oh, that, that's probably, you know – a double or what have you, but it didn't really feel very janky or anything like that when watching it. Now, this is where it gets interesting, because when I watch this on VHS, and certainly when you would have seen it on film, those mediums can like sort of cover up the seams oh, yeah. of, of where the, the, the digital imagery is inserted in this film. Watching it today uh, in HD, oh, you better believe you can see... <laughs> You can see exactly where the CGI uh, begins and the filmed re- and the filmed reality of the set has ended. But what I found fascinating about this experience is because there's so much model work and because there's so much uh, sort of photographic process imaging compositing already in this movie, anytime you could see the seams of a special effect, it only made the movie seem like more of a fantasy. Uh, I found it made right. it easier for me to invest in the film. It was like I was watching. It was like I was watching a really uh, like an opera, an opera using all sorts of uh, highly detailed German expressionist sets. Yeah, the artifice is definitely um, it definitely heightens the the mood of the film. I feel like um, you know, like the where people are falling, you kind of have the what then was probably blue screen technology or now it would be green screen technology. And you can see the crop lines around characters and stuff like that, but it works in this kind of weird, surreal, artificial way that I think actually really heightened the film. Even the opening of the film, you, you see this kind of cityscape on, on what's known as mm-hmm. Devil's Night, which is, becomes important to the plot. Uh, w- with the fire compositing and stuff, Like I, I thought that didn't look great, but on the other hand, like there was so much of it and the camera was so active moving around, you get sucked in pretty quick. Uh, also, in the beginning, there's a typo in the Chiron. Uh, Devil's Night does not have an apostrophe. Oh, yeah. So, no, it was for multiple devils. Because it's not it, Devil it, is it, it could be, but then wouldn't you do yeah. a, an apostrophe at the end of the S? Devil's no, it's just a apostrophe. night of multiple devils. The devils don't actually own the night. I don't know. It, it struck <laughs> me as weird. The days before autocorrect. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but, no, I... uh, yeah, and with the, the crow, I mean, you... Right when this opened, I had a bad feeling about this movie because it has a precocious voiceover from a child. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Explaining, like, hey, idiot, this is the theme of the film. Like, 
<laughs> I know, right? I, I'm I'm convinced that wasn't in there from the beginning because, like, you could figure that this movie is pretty lean on dialogue uh, overall, and like you can put the pieces together. It's not that hard. Yeah, and it's like the crow means this, and sometimes it comes <laughs> back, and nah, 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 nah. like it's like show shut up. And then they do it a few times, like in the beginning of the film, and it's like. I don't know. Maybe people got confused in uh, test screenings, or well, maybe it was in there like from a... the beginning. I don't know. But well, I think is, I think it was. Vision. I I think I think that if not necessarily the narration, but the dialogue probably was. Uh, so in the Crow comic, there's a character called the Skull Cowboy who is like a previous spirit of vengeance from an earlier era who is the Crow's kind of guide to his current circumstances. And the Skull Cowboy was originally going to be uh, part of this movie. And in fact, oh. they filmed the scenes. The guy who was in uh, The Hills Have Eyes uh, Oh, uh, oh, Michael uh, Michael, Barry? Michael Berryman, yeah. Michael Berryman played the Skull Cowboy. They ended up cutting all that... Uh, they ended up cutting all that footage. Uh, so, a raw version of some of the footage is actually available online now. It's it's really interesting. Uh, but I, I think I think they assumed, okay, there, maybe, maybe only one ghost. Maybe only one ghost monster in this movie. Let's not have another one. But oh, okay. everything that the girl says, that Sarah says in the narration... Sounds like some sounds like a line he probably would have delivered because it's a little bit heightened. Like her yeah. character doesn't talk like this when she's doing actual dialogue. Right. It almost like it kind of struck me as like the the feral kid from the Road Warrior almost. Yes. Yeah. Like speaking after the fact, you know, like a little older, a little wiser, recollecting on you know this period type thing. Right. I mean, so I mean, we're, we've been talking for about twenty minutes, barely talking about like uh, the, yeah. the story of the movie. There's and... so much other things around there is because the story is quite simple and and watching it for the first time just last night struck me as very video gamey yes like the the main character and the girlfriend killed the main character comes back to life and and at least initially can't be killed and he has to beat up uh, the dudes that uh, did them dirty in the beginning and and the movie i i rather liked it like the movie I, I like the way the movie t- sort of uh, sets this up because, uh, like, it begins with the crime scene. It begins yes, with uh, yeah. Ernie Hudson and the other the other officers ex- uh, examining the crime scene and, and taking and taking uh, his fiance uh, out to the hospital. Of course, she unfortunately does not pull through, and they don't do anything to make the characters likable or 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 uh, or, or sympathetic, but. It, it this crime scene investigation is filmed so matter of factly. Mm-hmm. It not only sets the tone for sort of the brutality these characters live with, but you do and you do end up feeling strangely enough end up feeling feeling sad for them because the fact that you don't know anything about them only makes them seem like innocent victims. More and it makes than- the crime so much more random and so much more cruel and you know so much more hard to you know take. Because again, it's it, it's just so brutal, and that's the thing is that like you don't really need a lot of background or context for no. it. It's just that they were murdered and tortured horribly. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough yep. to make me want to come back and whoop some ass, you know. The other thing about it is when 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 Draven comes back uh, as the crow, uh, we do get some flashbacks from you know the hap the 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 good times between he and his fiance when they were alive, and. 
it it makes the emotional impact of those flashbacks hit harder because mm-hmm. we haven't seen any of those good times before. And the flashbacks exactly. are, are like silent film almost, right? Because like you don't really have dialogue. The flashes are so quick. You can still put the pieces together. Oh, I mean, but when there is dialogue, there is some uh, 90s dialogue. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> before we get there, I mean, I just realized two things. One which is really obvious. Eric's last name is Draven. Take away the D. What do you have? Raven. <laughs> yeah. That that can't be an accident. And I know, right? God, it, it's um. Well, the other thing will will come to me later, but it's. Mm, well, that's anyhow. one of the things about this movie is that you know he's he's called the crow. The the, the sort of spirit that guides him is a is a a carrion crow, and yet whenever they make a reference to what he is, it's always a reference to a raven. Right. He even so quotes the Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, I gotta jump in here and say that for a movie called The Crow, about an avenging angel from beyond the grave, guided by a crow, who looks all gothy and cool, and they don't harness the reference that you, you could make a great catchphrase with a murder of crows, like, I oh. like to commit a murder, but I need some friends, and then have, like, you know, a yeah. murder of crows sweep in and peck someone's eyes out. Like, that is, like, you know... It's such an appropriate, great catchphrase he could have whittled. You know, maybe a little bit better than I just spun. But well, if know. there was, if there was a crow video game, that's the attack you get to do when your rage meter fills up all the way. Exactly, just the crows come in and pick the flesh off your enemies. Press the A and C- e for your murder of crows. Right. the The sequel um got a video game. I'm not sure if this one did. I'll have to do some digging on that. Uh, the other thing that came to mind with this film, it's basically Death Wish, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Death Wish with some spooky Beyond the Grave stuff. With the supernatural kind of stuff. Death Wish, but the guy can't die. But I think that the plot is so simple is in its favor. You don't have all this lore to to dredge through. The movie is 102 minutes, you know, fairly short, especially by today's, like, like Marvel and DC movie standards. Oh, yeah. And No, it's an efficient little movie. Mm -hmm. It's Yeah, it's got a lot going on. And also... um, I do want to do a, we should do a shout out to just how great Ernie Hudson is in this and that he really yes. like, yeah. he's perfect with all like the eighties, nineties cop dialogue. And like, there's a whole other backstory there too. You can tell he was like a sergeant and wouldn't, you know, you know, bend at the knee for the guys on the third floor. So now he's walking the beat again, you know, and he's like the perfect straight man in this. He's so terrific. Um, he has and, a good relationship with the kid. I think like yeah, that stuff that was works. Good too. And they sold that. It didn't feel shoehorned in. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I forgot about the kid, and then the narration kicks in. I'm like, oh, shit, there's a kid. But um, <laughs> it worked. It worked. Um, and, yeah, the cast is terrific. And this is so funny because it's like, these aren't bad guys. These are the baddest bad guys that have ever been bad guys. They all yeah. drink and smoke and have leather, and they have, like, a million knives, and they drink bullets, and they do drugs. And They're know. irredeemably evil oh, in a 90s so way. Evil. It's Mad Max, but more so probably the, the Gain and Robocop, the original. Yeah, it's like <laughs> Mad Max, Robocop, and, like, Gotham, like, all kind of smudged. Sure, yeah. Them. But um, David Patrick Kelly is like David Patrick Kelly, Michael Massey, and um, and Lawrence Mason are just like the perfect horrible bad guys. Um, David Patrick Kelly, especially, um, he's still got that like he can still channel that like a uh, character from the Warriors in this, and he's just got that great voice and he's so oh, snarky and mm-hmm. yeah, good. 
and, and of course, and of course, it's like it's like grim '90s snark. Like everyone, like I guess everyone except for Ernie Hudson, they everyone sort of delivers like these lines with sort of a smirking, semi-self-aware wit to them. And there's right. also like there's also like fake '90s slang, fake fake slang that people used ironically was a big thing in the '90s. Like one of my my absolute favorites is like you know, t- like he's dead, he's bang dead. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, let's get rift. Oh, <laughs> yeah, when they have to yeah. make up slang for drugs. Yeah, they're getting hard. Right. Harsh realm. <laughs> and, like, the, 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 the nightclub has, like, you know, perpetual rain of sparks coming down on the band <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the, like, the, this, Go on. There's, like, a part of me that was, like, a poll between, like, my inner 12-year-old and my, my present-day 30-something-year-old where I'm like, this is stupid, this is great, this is stupid, this is great. <laughs> I love <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it. This took this took me back to that era in kind of like the best the best way because like this this was like the era when I was really into the band garbage and like right. I was sort of like mm-hmm. coming to terms with my own like I was learning to tell the difference between depression and ennui and we certainly right. had an abundance <laughs> of ennui in the nineties. <laughs> And it also and it also just takes me back. It's like, oh yeah, everyone I know who played Vampire the Masquerade, this is what they thought they were doing. Yeah, exactly. Which in fact, what they were doing like... was the night scene from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And also, it's like after the crow, you know, like it wasn't weird to have, be a guy with long hair and jewelry. It wasn't weird, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that like kind of legitimized the kind of like gothy coolness of it. You know, before it was still it was still fringy to like you know have like a ring or something if you were a dude. Right, uh, or, or Rainer, or Rainer for that matter. I mean, um, yeah. I, I wish I could find this, but when, when I was in high school, this would have been oh, probably 97 or so. It might have been Discovery Channel had this matter-of-fact documentary about a family of goths, and they all think they're vampires. But, like, it's, <laughs> they live in the suburbs. But, like, it's shot in the most matter-of-fact way with the worst, with, like, the most boring narration possible. Um, oh and, and I thought like about that, that while watching The Crow, and I'm like, I, I, I should try and dig that up, because it's a really funny relic of how, uh, you know, like a current affair or those kind of programs would, would, would cover something. It just was so... <laughs> Now I'm just imagining like the husband and wife of that family like sitting at the kitchen table looking at receipts. One turns to the other and says, "We need to find a cheaper brand of oatmeal." Yeah, there there was a, a scene where the the wife is like, "Sometimes I let him bite my neck," and then like it has this like music in the background. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. It's like the like you know oh, like the son chasing a sister around with a crucifix like. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, they all had like cloaks, and I, I don't know if they're doing it up for the camera, but it was. Um, it, it's an amusing piece. I'll have to try and figure out what that is because it's. Um, I, I just couldn't not stop thinking about that and thinking of the Saturday Night Live. Uh, was it Goth Talk or what was that thing with Will Ferrell and? No, Goth Talk was with Chris Kattan and Molly Shannon Excuse me. as Cersei yeah. Nightshade That's right. and Azriel Abyss. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And. Uh, and but, Jim I mean, this Brewer is, as his older brother Todd, right? But I mean, this is part of what what birthed this stuff, and oh, yeah. or at least made it more main mainstream. And well, you know, something I like. So you know, we we talk about like the, the 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 crow having like an iconic look for the era. But one thing that's fascinating is the only thing that stays consistent about the crow's look in this movie is the white face paint with like the black around the mouth and eyes, which it really makes him look like a like a black and white Joker, uh, which yes. fits his attitude in some scenes, but. But other than that, his look is constantly changing because he starts with this like 
goth rock and roll look because he is literally pulling what he used to wear when he played in a band out of a steamer mm. trunk. So like he's just dressed right. as himself as a grunge goth rocker. But that costume is constantly changing because even though he's indestructible, his clothes aren't. So he's constantly shedding parts of this outfit and putting new stuff on, taking clothes from the people he defeats. Um, and like, and sometimes even making arbitrary changes when he's like, ooh, electrical tape. Tape wrapped around his hands. <laughs> I, I do think his kind of minimalist look did inspire the look of the uh, the movie The Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. You know, there uh, was a moment in this film, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, the, the, the Joker thinks it's doing what this movie did. Right, like mm. this is the right level yeah. of like a requisite humanity versus like, you know, the like it's like the like perfect level of darkness to like anti-hero. You know, like you're still rooting yeah. for him. It's still a dark flick, but it's not overkill. I mean, maybe sometimes. And also, like, whatever, there's something kind of weird. It's not weird, but something kind of, like, unexplained. I just, in the back of my head, I'm like, it's there because it looks cool, Alex. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. when did you have time to paint a giant crow in gasoline? Who gives a shit? It looks cool. You know? Well, he has, like, he has some somewhat vaguely divine, defined supernatural powers, so yeah. maybe he can just make crow shapes out of different fluids. Exactly, because it looks cool. It looks cool. It's fine. Um... And I do like the uh, the ironic deaths of the bad guys. You know, he jams a bunch of syringes in the dude's heart. On Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. Like the wizard battles. The angel jacuzzis. A goat full of sins. 500 drunk elephants. And a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. How does Bloodborne stack up against, say, Oregon Trail? And is Bomberman just Loadrunner from a different point of view? Find out on Hardcore Gaming 101's Top Games, where we objectively, definitively, and scientifically rank the games you nominate for our ever-growing list. HG 101's Top Games, twice a week, every week, right here on Greenlit. Oh, yeah, the, guy, the, the knife guy, he just, uh, tin, tin, knife knife guy, like, he just stabs him to death with all of his <laughs> knives after doing this elaborate knife fight. And also, I like it um, when he uh, when he rubs out the dude and takes the and he uh, rescues um, Sarah's mother. You know, like, like you just referenced earlier, when he's like, you know, morphine's bad, and you know, he draws the drugs out of her. I thought that was really fascinating, and that was like what I really admired about this movie and the character is that it gives you enough of like when that happened, I was kind of like, okay, this is like right where the movie should be. You know, like, he's a badass, he can, you know, whoop some ass and kill some bad guys, but, like, he's also got goodness in him, you know? Like, this is what you want from, like, a like a kind of cynical anti-hero. And yeah, I just thought is... that was a great touch in the movie. Yeah, it is neat that he does He does save Sarah's, Sarah's mother and, and, like, sort of purge the, the drugs from her system. And it's and, and that, that shot where, like, you see the track marks and, like, the, the fluid yeah. seeps out. Now, that, that being said, and th this is something I did, I mulled this over. It seemed so weird to me that what they that what she was hooked on was morphine uh, for for a few reasons. Like I've I've been on morphine. Morphine's great, but it doesn't get oh, yeah. you that high. And as I understand it, it's not it's not it's it's not like addictive and habit forming the way so many other drugs are addictive and habit forming. Like you don't get dependent. <laughs> what I get my understanding as somebody who was prescribed morphine for a period, um, it, it 
it's my understanding that that like it's a psychological dependence less mm -hmm. than like a, a chemical dependence because you get so used to not feeling whatever pain that the morphine's meant to deaden that if the pain comes back it can hit you really hard and that's kind of what drives it and and i was thinking and i just kept thinking that just seems so weird shouldn't shouldn't this be heroin shouldn't right. that be this is about and the only thing I could think of is I bet in the script it probably was heroin. And that was but, probably too much. But yeah, it, yeah mm -hmm. probably judged too dark because th this was the time when people were very, very aware of like AIDS transmission through heroin needles, through needle right. sharing. And, and so it's I'm funny because I – sorry. Oh, no, I'm just thinking that that implication may have been so dark they scaled it back for this film. I reached the same conclusion, too, because I was like, morphine, interesting, because usually if you're a drug addict, your, your favorite opiate of choice is whatever there's an abundance of. So I'm like, maybe that particular drug dealer just had a morphine connection. Um, but then I kind of reached Either the same conclusion of like slice What's that like slice. Oh, no, she's hooked on slice. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, it's slice. But yeah, it's one of those the... things where it's like. It... Where like um you know uh you know druggies do morphine junkies do heroin you know what I mean so like like you said to soften it up a little bit you know morphine sounds is less spooky than than smack or like he's hopped up on goofballs yeah exactly red <laughs> devil singer oh man what what do they call it in the Star Wars Episode Two Attack of the Clones Death Sticks Death Sticks oh, yeah. that's especially bad that's although right it does sound like something that what that's right up there with unobtainium. <laughs> unobtainium is the real name of a mineral or something, believe it or not. Like, oh, wow. That's important. Yeah, it was a sarcastic name, though, for in science fiction circles for generations. Sure, sure. Mm. But, it, yeah, I mean, it doesn't, you can't take it seriously if you take, uh, if you have dialogue. We need the unobtainium. Just call it something else. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, you I would even. Talk, I would talk about how evil the bad guys are in this. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, please. So, yeah. So there's so there's like so it turns out like the 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 group of criminals that that brutalized the Raven and his and his fiance turns out they work for a guy named uh, Top Dollar uh, <laughs> who who uh, runs a criminal empire with his sister Micah who's played by Bai Ling. Uh, Michael Wincott is Top Dollar, and like like we are introduced to them after they have both fucked a woman to death. Yeah, I'm like, what the fuck? And then they, they proceed to carve out her eyes and use them in their Oh yeah, they carve out her eyes, which Micah uses in supernatural rituals. They are cannibals. Yeah. Uh, and they commit incest. It turns out they, they, they both have the same father, but they are clearly fucking. Yeah, and they are no bones about it, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> they're like, who is she? He's like, he's my sister. Um, and I also have to say, shout out to Michael Wincott, that is a man with a terrific voice. Like, right up there with, like, Lance Henriksen and, um, and, uh, uh Sam Elliott. Um, just, mm -hmm. yeah, such a great voice. Such a good heavy. I mean, you hear that guy's voice and the, you know, whether it's the Doors movie or Alien or Resurrection or Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Man, he's, and Strange Days especially, I thought of Strange Days when watching this. Yeah, that guy's got a, got a killer voice. He's a great bad guy. And one thing I like, though, is that they are shown to be so weird and Micah so into mysticism early on 
like I have I like I do not question it when Micah says, you know, well one who returned from the dead, they quickly figure out that it's the vengeful spirit of the guy that was murdered the previous year. It's like, well, you know, he's guided by he's guided by by a totem animal. So obviously if we kill the totem animal, he has no source for his power. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I totally believe that she would know that. Oh, totally, definitely. One other thing I like is um with all the supernatural stuff going on, I did like a lot of like the religious and biblical allusions. Um, one of my favorite scenes was the, was the pawn shop scene with John Polito, who's another terrific um, character actor. And what I thought was really cool was um, when he loads up the uh, shotgun with the various rings. And I almost kind of got this feeling of like this, like, you know, it's almost like he's paying him like for the 40 pieces of silver in a way. And um, it was a really cool image, like the rings shooting out of the shotgun barrel and stuff like that. That was a pretty, uh, pretty cool scene. And also, you know, like with the, you know, when he drops the, cracks the Jesus joke, you know, put, put me up for the night joke. And with, a, you know, the bleeding hands and stuff like that. A lot of religious imagery, which I thought was pretty, uh, pretty cool. Well, also the way um, the Eric Draven, when he, he dies, he gets thrown out the window and falls in kind of like a Christ-like pose, and oh, then yeah, he he falls that same way again after he gets his powers and he lives, and he just wakes up and starts smiling and laughing. I thought that was very effective. It's yeah, weird. he has a weird joy, like a weird Joker-like joy when he when he yeah. he, he reaps his vengeance. But he, I love how he talks in in kind of a like a soft voice. It's not the deep Batman voice I was expecting. Right. Yeah, he, he sometimes goes like this, and that's just the way he talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a little clownish, but he's kind of just doing his own thing. And I think that was really, um, I think that was inspired on Brandon Lee's part, because I think it, they were definitely like cultivating, um, not a, maybe not a franchise, but something here. Sure. And I think he gives it a very, I think he gives it a very, uh, an original vibe to. Yeah, because I mean, if he would have been like, oh, I'm the crow. Hello, guys. Like that Yeah, like, oh, oh, look at me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so there's a scene where where so they have the whole thing of like a devil's night the night before Halloween when all the crooks just go crazy under the direction of Top Dollar and there's this great scene where Top Dollar's having his his board meeting with the heads of all the multi-ethnic gangs that he controls mm-hmm. and uh and I I love that like like every group of three people are like built around the same theme. Like it looks like if you're playing a Grand Theft Auto game, these would be like yeah. all the crime families you'd be dealing with. And he's Everyone's talking about how you know, we've done Devil's Night so much, it's gotten old hat. So this is going to be the last year, and we're going to make it the biggest one ever. Pure anarchy. And and you know, uh, and the crow shows up, and there's there's like I absolutely loved this this fight scene because it is just pure chaos yeah oh yeah and practicality and like people people falling through skylights and landing in the nightclub under where they're <laughs> under where the meeting is <laughs> happening and like i also just love that it's in like the 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 nightclub's called the pit but the under oh, no, the pit's the bar but like this place is just called trash yeah <laughs> they've got that big metal sign that just says trash on the building <laughs> dominating the skyline I mean, the budget for this at the time was not insignificant at $23 million. Uh, it certainly made back its money. Oh, yeah, yeah. no. It, and it you see made... every penny of that on screen, too. Not not just that, but you... Um, I mean, on, on video, this thing always was rented out when I worked oh, uh, yeah. retail and, and stuff. This always, they, you know, they have a million different special edition DVDs. They, this is just a perennial bestseller. 
Uh, I mean, they still probably sell the Crow t-shirts at Hot Topic. Oh, I'm sure. Probably do. I'm I'm honestly shocked that no streaming service has produced a new Crow film at this point. They've or been mine. trying to do a remake with the James McAvoy, I think, was on the list. Like, this in Highlander, they've been trying to remake for over a decade, and they can't do it for some reason. Um, yeah, it's a unique tone to strike, and also it's very much of its time. I mean, I say this all the time, but with things like this, it's just just leave it be. <laughs> just let it be for, for, for fuck's sake. But, you know, that's not going to happen. Um, also, I mean, like, it's so, I, I feel like it's so basic to bring this up, but it's an almost inevitable. It's like, but like, you have to wonder, like, did Chris Nolan see this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure. I thinking, yeah. Like when he disappears on Ernie Hudson every time, it's like, oh, ho, ho, ho. yeah, Batman, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> um, they, they do a lot of that too, where he's talking to someone and then they cut back and he's not there. And I'm glad. Right. They do it in that way uh, as an in-camera effect, as opposed to doing some, like, he turns into mist or some, like, shit yeah, CG. Yeah, or turns into a crow, like Animorphs or something stupid mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just jumps out of windows. Yep. <laughs> well, also, I also love that bit where, where when he's, after he's had that really neat meeting with Ernie Hudson, where Hudson explains how he stayed with his uh, the crow's fiance for 30 hours the night she died, because he really wanted to know scene. that there was good in the world and see her pull through and he experiences that pain and longing that Ernie Hudson went through but like when the crow leaves after they come to an understanding with each other he's like so what you're gonna disappear out the window no I'm gonna use your front door it is deconstructing humor. that Batman cliche yes, before yes. we needed the deconstruction of that yeah, Batman no, cliche I mean yeah Batman was five years before this 89 but it really did not usher in a huge bunch of like, you know, uh, super duper popular comic book movies until the late nineties where you had Spider-Man one, the uh, X-Men one mm-hmm. uh, blade, I think probably kicked, oh. kicked that off in, in earnest. I think but, blade was but, probably the most effective in that. We need of, to do blade. We do. And, yeah. but crow was like a half step without yeah. that. I don't think you'd get the others and, and it gets overlooked a lot. I mean, I think people know about this, this movie. I don't think they, they might not know it has three sequels, which we're going to cover right. <laughs> in the coming weeks. And it had a, a, TV a, show. a Canadian TV show. Um, yeah, called... this is very ingrained in our cultural vernacular. Yeah, and um, I couldn't help but think of the South Park Hell on Earth episode where <laughs> Satan has a Halloween party and he goes, and no one can show up as the crow. I get it. Every year there's like 14 guys <laughs> just like the crow because they want to look hot and hook up. It's lame. <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody is dressed as the crow. Yeah. God. If you're dressed like the crow, you will not get in. Yeah. I mean, I mean, so the, the crow overall, I think it's uh, it, it's really effective. I think it it holds up. The plot is slight, but it you get the idea. I think it. I just like that it's not overloaded with stuff. I would give yeah. this sequel yes. Also, a great soundtrack. You have the oh, Cure. Totally. You have a lot of cool covers of things. Um. You have a score by Graham Ravel who is that's just solid that matches the mood. The movie it doesn't sound like a Danny Elfman ripoff score. Right. <laughs> and like I love that like this like out goths Gotham. Yes. Like when I think of Gotham, right. like this is like what I imagined. You know what I mean? Like the hyperbolic super bad bad guys. And also yeah, just... shout out to Tony Todd because he's great in this too. Oh yes, yeah, like course, the soundtrack yeah. is amazing. It's got Violent Femmes, Rollins Band, yep. Rage Against the Machine, Nine Inch Nails. There are things that pl- there are songs that play in this movie 
that were constantly on alternative radio stations in the 90s. Oh, yeah, totally. Oh, My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult, Jesus and Mary Chain. It's amazing. Yeah, Jesus and Mary Chain. That's a good, like, gothy deep cut, too. So, Thrasher, how do you rank The Crow? I'm going to give it a, a, a sequel, yes. I absolutely loved this movie, and I'm really glad I came to this movie later in life. Because if I'd, if I'd seen it when it came out, I very mel- well may have dismissed it having seen it as quickly as I dismissed it without having seen it. Um, I, I, but I, I really think this is a well-put-together film, and the artifice of it only helps it. This, this was a wonderful experience. And Alex? Um, I was a little at first. I was like, okay, how's this going to hold up? I know it's like, you know, Goth 101. Um, but no, this was actually, it really surprised me. Um, so much of it holds up really well. Um, again, there's some, you know, there's some silly stuff, but I mean, what avenging angels, quasi anti-hero superhero thing doesn't have some stupid stuff. I thought it was a lot of fun. And it's that just that right level of, you know, exaggerated stylized violence. And it knows exactly what it's wanted. It knows exactly what it wants to be. And it does a really good job of being that. And this is just, again, I've, I've gone over this a bajillion times, great cast. And um, it's, again, it's a, it's a terrific film. It's, uh, and I think it's dated in the best possible way. And I mean that uh, very much as a compliment. So, yeah, definite sequel, yes, on The Crow. Very good. So uh, we'll move on to pitch a sequel. The one that comes to mind for me is... Thinking so, all the direct video sequels have the conceit like it's a different, it's the same story but a different dude. I might have it. I might go the route and have it be uh, maybe a spinoff kind of focused. Uh, so it would be about a different dude being the crow, but it would be from the point of view of the gains, and and kind of do it more like a horror movie from their perspective. And be like, wow, someone's bumping off all our best guys. What what can we do? And kind of like an Alamo sort of story. Mm-hmm. And I would call it uh, The Crow. Uh, I would call it The Crow Ultimate. Which means nothing, but it sounds kind of 90s. But it sounds cool, yeah. <laughs> ultimatum, that's it. The Crow Ultimatum. <laughs> Alex. Um, so after vanquishing, you know, after, uh, you know, kicking everyone's ass and, and doing all the bad guys away from, uh, you know, whatever city it's called, um, he's sent back to the afterlife. And since there's a lot of churches and, and, and you know, uh, Christian imagery, this is I'm just going to assume this is a Christian afterlife. So he's sent back and I guess, you know, St. Peter or whatever is like, you know, you've done such good on Earth. Um, I'm going to give you an opportunity you can go back to your previous life right before you and your fiance are murdered and what i'll do is that you can either go ahead and relive the horrible things that happened or you can take your fiance's life and your own and then be restored to you know to a two peaceful afterlife i'll exonerate the suicide thing um so you know that's yeah that's your thing but what you can't do is that you can't change fate you know, you can't, you can't, you know, you, you, you guys have to die on Devil's Night. That's that's it. So, you know, here you go. So, you know, he's thrown back to Earth, but, you know, what does the crow do? The crow says, fuck that, I'm going to fight these guys. And then he has to ultimately 
uh, you know, grapple with the heavens after uh, kicking everyone's ass when they assault, when they do their little home invasion. And it's called uh, um, uh, Crow Redemption. Kind of surprised one of the sequels isn't called Crow Redemption. That kind of I know, fits right? in well, Absolution would be another good one. Absolution, yes. yeah, exactly. Absolution would be good. I don't think people really know what absolution means, but you it know sounds what? good. I'm going to call mine <laughs> no. the Crow Absolution. Okay, what's you crow? Go. What's your Crow Absolution about? I, I was going to call it Sins of the Fathers, but here, here's why. So we know that Top Dollar and Micah, they they have you know they both have the same father. Well, it turns out that father's still alive, and a year later, that father shows up in the city to get revenge on his kid's entire criminal syndicate being torn down, and he brings his own cadre of professional criminals uh, and just starts taking over the city. And of course, this means the crow's work is not yet done, so he rises from the grave one more time, but he can't do it alone. And it turns out uh, Top Dollar uh, and uh, Micah's father... He's not the only person that uh, that uh, the crow is the only person they've wronged. They wronged one other person. The person they wronged is Dr. Peyton Westlake. That's right. This sequel is also a crossover with the other iconic 90s superhero, Darkman. Darkman <laughs> and the Crow team up to take down this criminal mastermind. And that'll even be, and that'll even be part of the end when the Dark Man disguises himself as the Crow, and like, which one is real? Which one is mortal? How are we going to defeat defeat him? And that'll be the epic. That'll be the epic uh, climax of of uh, the Crow absolution. Does it have a scene where the Crow puts a gun in someone's mouth, and before he pulls the trigger, says, "Looks like you're eating Crow." <laughs> you know, we ought to do that. I think so. I, th I think we ought to do that. It'd be nice to have a crow reference that isn't a raven reference. Also, I thought another good catchphrase could have been when he goes to kill Top Dollar and go, Top Dollar, more like loose change. Oh, that, that's, that's a good one. <laughs> Cash or credit? Cash. Shave and a haircut. Two bits. Oh. Top Dollar, looks like your stock just dropped. You know, I realize our impression of the crow sounds nothing like the crow. It would no. kind of be no, more up here. Actually. Shaving a haircut, two bits, you know. Yeah, it'd be more Not up there, like that. or like loose change. Um, I do feel like we should touch on um, how great Brandon Lee was, and I had recently watched Showdown in Little Tokyo this year, mm -hmm. and um, it's it's it really sucks what happened, man. I, he would have been a yeah. big deal. Uh, very talented, very good looking guy. Uh, taken before his time, it's a bummer. Well, and it's nice. Brandon Lee has is kind of. Um... Much like his father had had a had a lean look, he didn't have like the roided '90s look. Yeah, exactly. Like that would have been such a nice contrast to like you know the Stallones and Lundgrens that we had at the time. Um, and yeah, it's just it's such a shame. Um, really charismatic dude. Really ma a very magnetic presence. Um, I, I did get a little choked up at the end when it says uh, for for Brandon and Eliza. I was like, oh, yep. it's a nice. Uh... Nice note to end it on. So now on to what you're watching. Um, I was watching something on HBO yesterday, actually, and um, it was pretty good. I didn't know much about it except the poster looks cool. It's uh, 2019's Ready or Not, directed by Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Um, it is... I don't want to say that much about the premise without spoiling it, but basically a woman 
gets married to a guy from a rich family that has an odd tradition on the uh, night of the wedding. And a lot of characters have weapons, and it's kind of like a deadly hide-and-go-seek thing, but it, it has some plot twists. It's pretty kind of a dark comedy at times, and it's uh, it's well done. It also gets very gory, has a lot of kind of shot kills. Cool. And, uh, yeah, just a really slick uh, slick picture. And it stars in the lead, Samira Weaving, who I liked a lot more in here than how she was in um, playing Bill's daughter in Bill and Ted Face the Music. So I, I, I was, it's, it's, it's interesting you brought this movie up because I was good. I saw this recently. I was going to talk about it too. Oh, okay. How much do you want to avoid spoilers? Alex, do you care if we spoil this? I am fine. Yeah. That's okay. Right. So we're just spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We're going to talk about this. Okay. So I, I, I really enjoyed this movie uh, up until the end. And, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And, 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 and the movie, the movie kind of has t- is two, like two flaws is that one, the family that's hunting her proves themselves to be so incompetent. I can't imagine, like, I never feel like she's truly under any kind of threat, and I honestly can't imagine they've ever pulled off this scheme before where they have to hunt somebody to death. And we also come to find out the reason that they are that they are hunting the most deadly game, man, <laughs> is because that, like, their ancestor supposedly, like, made a deal with the devil and that in order for the family to stay rich and famous, whatever game comes up on a, on a wedding night, they have to play. And sometimes the game involves hunting somebody and killing them. The pro like the problem is, I feel like that works much better if they're just crazy and they and they believe this. But in the end, yeah. the supernatural proves to be real. And while the reveal that the supernatural is real is hilarious the first time. I feel like it undercuts the rest of the movie. I like the payoff, though. I, I did like the, the that the Supernatural's real payoff. I, I didn't. I thought it was a little bit too cartoony and kind of, I agree with Asher, it kind of undercut the, it's, the premise. You, you could have had... Right. Well, it strikes me as they didn't know how to end it and didn't know how to get rid of the right. family members that were already dead. Because I could totally feel, because the script is just clever enough that I could totally mm-hmm. feel that in the original end, I, it feels to me like the original ending was when the sun rises and the game is over, the family just stops trying to kill her and the survivors just let her go. And that was, and I'm, like, that feels like an executive or someone said, no, that can't be the ending. They can't just let her go. I don't know. Have everyone explode or something. <laughs> I like the imagery. But I feel like at, if like everyone was just on. crazy, it'd be too many people to be like make them all crazy. I feel well, like I mean, like they've the, all bought mm-hmm. into this ridiculous notion. It's like a cult, you know, right? Sort it's of, the power yeah. of tradition. You know? uh-huh. Yeah, but there's also like a greed angle too, and I feel like that that also like kind of legitimizes how bonkers the the the, <laughs> the ending is. I don't know. I'd have to watch it again, but I think you know it's well well constructed. It's a good. It's yeah. a clever premise. Good some suspense it helps that i didn't recognize a lot of the actors that kind of got me sucked into the story more Um, yeah definitely so i do i do love that scene where the guy goes to the bathroom but he's not really going to the bathroom he's watching a youtube video on how to use a crossbow (laughs) yes and he's like chatting when he's texting a friend and he's like oh yeah what are you doing a family stuff yeah that's (laughs) like funny and i appreciated that because like having used a crossbow they're not intuitive 
No, no not and at it all. has a kickback, and it, yeah, the, not like the movies. It's not like uh, as simple as it looks. Well, the same with bows and arrows, for that matter. I mean, it requires well, a lot of strength. Well, like you know, like cro- cro- like all weapons are dangerous. Crossbows are fucking dangerous. Yeah, yeah. No, they're, outside of the, like, being a medieval warlord, that's a pretty impractical weapon. <laughs> yeah, you know, we should bring back the belly bow. I know, right? <laughs> belly bow. But yeah, I felt like uh, right here. Not it, it fits in with these this recent trend of like very of like self conscious um, comedic Jordan Peele like, style. Yeah, or like Happy mm-hmm. uh, Death Day to you, um, or the Happy I've Death heard, Day. Yeah, I've never seen the Death Days, but I heard those are good. Um, I haven't seen the second one. The first one I like quite a bit. Mm. Neat. Uh, okay, so uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? I know we just talked about the same show, but. Well, uh, so I did, in fact, finish watching the uh, Tales from a Parallel Universe slash uh, Lex movies. Of course, last episode I talked about the first and second. Right. Uh, I Worship His Shadow with Barry Bostwick and Supernova with Tim Curry. So uh, this past week I also watched Eating Pattern with Rutger Hauer and Giga Shadow with Malcolm McDowell. And I'm happy to say these all still show up and they go to such weird places there was stuff in these movies that i forgot even though i used to watch them all the time in college and and i'm pleased with how they show up and one thing that made me worried is for some reason my memory of giga shadow was that it was boring as hell and had a lot of dead weight my memories were false i must have just been kind of impatient when i watched it um they're both tight weird little movies I, yeah, I, I took a peek on Amazon, and actually the, the box sets just were, were cheaper than uh, I remembered. I was surprised, because when I worked retail at the time, the, the different episodes were released kind of almost individually. You didn't have as much um, season box sets back then. Yeah, episodes per DVD. Right, kind of like these do with anime. And um, it, it these always went for a lot of money at our store, because um, it was a used movie store I worked at for a bit. And uh, yeah, so it was just something... It stuck out like the people that that liked Lex really liked it, and it made it difficult for other people to find. So there you go. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind checking it out. I just there's so much that I own that I haven't watched. Yeah, like it, if only to see like Supernova and Eating Pattern. Tim Curry and Rutger Hauer oh, sure. are are amazing in their in their roles. No, I'm I'm a slut for Tim Curry. For more of that, read my Tim Curry retrospective at Film Inquiry. Nice. Dot com. Um, Alex. Um, I do want to reference a spooky movie because it's spooky season. I did rewatch Pumpkinhead last night, which is just such a great movie. Um, it's a shame mm. Stan Winston didn't direct more. Yeah. Um, but one thing that I rewatched that I just I I just love it so much is um, Jackie Chan's Miracles. Um, like so many Hong Kong movies, it's got fifty different titles. The original title is um, Mr. Canton Lady Rose. And it was Jackie Chan's informal remake of Frank Capra's Lady for a Day, but it takes place in like 1930s um, Hong Kong, where a kind of country boy becomes like the head of like this like mafia syndicate, and you've got like the old timey cars and like Tommy guns and the hats and stuff, and it's yeah, like Samuel Hun is in that, right? Uh, Yoon Bao is in it. Uh, one of the Yoon Bao, not Samuel Hun. Okay. Uh, uh, you might be thinking of Project Day. That's another period. I see. Jackie Chan joint. Yeah. Um, um, but this is so great, and Jackie directs the movie like an old-timey like studio film, but again, you've got these elaborate fight scenes, and people getting thrown out windows, and these incredible stunts, 
And it's just such an incredible film. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a shame that so many people our age or younger, you know, if they hear Jackie Chan, they associate it with, like, you know, the freaking tuxedo or some stupid shit like that. <laughs> and it's just such a shame because, like, this is such a beautiful movie. It's very artful and entertaining. It's got a little heart to it. It's funny. Uh, it's got this period flavor. They have, like, the nightclub. It's, it really is like a 30s gangster flick, but just with that distinctive Hong Kong flavor and Jackie's sense of humor and you know, sense of action and stunts, and it's just so much fun. If um, you want to pony up the 20-something bucks for the Blu-ray, I highly recommend it. It's such a what great What label film. is it uh, released on? Uh, I believe it's called 88-something. It's okay. uh, looking mm. right now. I, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, certainly when, uh, God, after Rumble in the Bronx and Miramax was trying to, you know, release every single Jackie Chan thing possible, they weren't releasing oh, I... things like this. No, they were doing more the the action pictures. Yeah, they had um all the low way movies. This is the guy who discovered Bruce Lee and then subsequently discovered Mm. Jackie Chan. And low way was just trying to shove a square peg in a round hole, trying to make Jackie the next Bruce Lee, and it just wasn't working. And it wasn't really until the Young Master or um, uh, Snake and Eagle's Shadow that he actually got to like you know kind of come out of his own. But um yeah, the label is eighty eight films, and they just they specialize in a lot of like Hong Kong Asian stuff. Cool. And um, yeah, this is it. Jackie directed it too. And he's a terrific director. It's mm-hmm. um, and the thing was, is that golden harvest said he just took too long and the movie was too long. And you know, they're like, you should just act. How many, how, they're like, how many good years do you have left? You know, when <laughs> this is an 89. <laughs> have you tried uh, acting uh, dear boy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's crazy. Wow. Though, things studios do, but yeah, miracles. It's a great film. Yeah, Jackie Chan, you know, we've covered a, a lot on this show, and there's probably, you know, endless things left to cover. The guy does a lot of series and things, and there's... Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, man, isn't there something coming out with, like, Jackie Chan and, and Schwarzenegger? Oh, wow. Reunited so. from around the world in 80 days. I know, Ma- right? Maybe not. Maybe it's just Schwarzenegger and, and someone else. It's a weird... It's, it's like a Russian movies? film. I'll have to look it up. He still um, got it. Um, he still does some Hong Kong joints. Um, he had a part in um, 1911 and um, Shaolin, like 2011-2012. That were pretty fun. Um, well, I think his most recent movie was Vanguard. Hmm. Or The Climbers. He, yeah, I mean, he still really he, uh, pumps them out. He, um, The way they, they do film in Hong Kong and China is just so... Uh, uh, such an aggressive release schedule and, and they just oh, yeah. shoot more like the studio system, right? In the, okay. in the oh, old yeah, days, no. yep, filming stuff on the next one. Okay, uh, Alex, can you unplug and replug your headset, please? How the sausage gets made! Bum, bum, That's bum. Right. <laughs> Peek behind the curtain. No, it's not the USB is the point of failure. It, listeners love these parts. Okay, yeah. so let's do, uh, as we wrap things up, let's do the sequel scene. Will, it, uh, sorry, Thrasher, it took you a while to find a scene with three people, but why don't I, you set the stage? Yeah, so th- this is the scene where, uh, where, where Grange, Tony Todd's character, is talking with Micah and Top Dollar, and this is when they are sort of figuring out what the nature of the crow is and how they're going to deal with them. I would like to do, I would like to do Micah. Okay. Can't do Biling's voice, but I have a plan. All right. You can do... Micah, um, Alex, you want to do Grange? Yeah, sure. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do Top Dollar and the the parenthetical narration. Let's go. Right. 
So that, I take it, was the late, great Eric Draven. Studying the crow's feather. He has power, but it is power you can take from him. I like him already. The crow is the link between the land of the living and the realm of the dead. So, kill the crow, destroy the man. That sounds like a line that would be in the trailer. Right? <laughs> I was holding back so much laughter when you were doing the Micah voice. Doing my Azriel Abyss voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stop it, Todd! We're doing our show! <laughs> I'm Michael Wingott. I've got a voice. <laughs> oh, I, I'd like a, I'd like a French tickler. Has a little round thing goes at the end of your cock. <laughs> you there, clever boy, remarkable boy. Did you see that goose hanging in the shop window? I, I did. York. I did karaoke with some friends in a sort of <laughs> private karaoke booth thing that they had all these air filters and people wear masks and, and all these things that they have to do now with the way things are in COVID. Like um, that picture and, you showed. Yeah. And, um, we did, uh, I, I did every sperm is sacred and <laughs> that, that song goes on for over five minutes, but yeah. which is bad enough when you're doing it to a whole bar, but when you're doing it just to your friends, um, five minutes is kind of an eternity. Well, do they, of, did, uh, 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 karaoke version, does it keep the part that is just dancing? Yes, it does have the extended musical break. I think that's. Oh, I hate it. when they do that for karaoke. Yeah. They should remove those. I mean, it's it's off but I mean, the they, whole song is like every sperm is sacred. There is a six-bar instrumental break in Copacabana that was left. Oh, I used to do the karaoke time. track of Copacabana yeah. that I did as a duet with the fr with the friend at BJ's uh, bachelor party. I couldn't believe that we had to just stand on stage for 72 bars. We started riffing through the microphones. It was great. <laughs> yeah. It's actually funny because we just recently watched that. Um, I visited my family a couple weeks last weekend, and we watched that um, Every Sperm is Sacred video. It was kind of it was kind of funny, though, or sad, really, because uh, you know, the scene where it's like, me and me and me and Graham Chapman pops out of the coffin. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that. And then it's, it's kind of sad, though, because Graham Chapman did die like a few years later. Well, here's, here's a Monty Python tidbit before we uh end the show because we've got another one to record or how the sausage is made um so universal signed monty python to a three-picture deal because of that they're able to get all sorts of famous comedians for next to nothing like eddie murphy and uh, a bunch of the other guys because they're like we have the pythons but uh -huh. unfortunately you know monty python only did meaning of life and then uh graham chapman died and you know they just weren't able to come together to to do another project really eric idol has been the one that's been hoisting the torch and got spam a lot on broadway and all that stuff and yeah. they're supposed to be doing a spam a lot movie um hmm. yeah which they've been talking about for a long time. they've been talking about for a long time and at one point they were thinking john oliver could do it and unfortunately hmm. tim curry can't do it he his health has improved since his I believe it was a stroke in 2012 something like that um but he so he's been doing convention tours uh pre-covid of course and i had the he was in portland at one i had the chance to see him and i missed it oh, that sucks. so I, I don't I hope you can do it i, I don't know again. if he's still doing this but there was a period where tim curry was just searching twitter for people 
making posts saying that Tim Curry was dead, and then like very like sarcastically replying to them. Like, well, that's news to me. <laughs> I think that's a fake account. Oh, but it's a pretty really. Good I thought one. it had a blue check mark. I don't know. I have to look into that. Um, well, I guess it could be his publicist. I don't know. Well, well, sure. I mean, yeah, but he he's been doing this. I don't know if it, I don't know if he does cameo, but he does some of these things where you can pay a few hundred bucks and then get to talk to him for like thirty seconds. That oh. seems to be pretty common. But I, I might I don't know if I'd bite the bullet on that. I, don't, I have to think about it. But Tim Curry means a lot to me. Uh, means a lot to Thrasher. I don't. Alex, do you like Tim Curry? I don't know. Oh, I love Tim Curry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I would do the like you know. Hey, you want to do an interview? Because I write and stuff. Right, right. Yeah, that's not. You're like, okay, yeah, I'll pony up some. <laughs> better way to do it. Um, awesome. So, with uh, next week on Sequel Cast Two, we're going to be looking at the sequel to The Crow, which is called The Crow: City of Angels. Which make me think of a that's a that is a Christian movie, but I imagine it's not. I don't know. It's got Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan. No, that's um. Oh, what was that called? Oh, it's just called it City of Angels, right? Okay, and yeah. it's a remake of a French film, right? With um, I think it's a yes. remake of uh, Skies of Berlin or Wings of Desire. Yeah, the German Wings of Desire. That's it. Yeah, because yeah. my great. oh god, great. My, my wife took a line from Wings of Desire and put it in our wedding vows, I believe. Oh, that's really so sweet. that's nice. Uh, anyhow, yes, next week the Crow, City of Angels. Not touched by an angel. That's what I was trying to think of earlier. Um, not the Meg Ryan movie. No, and and <laughs> not not it could happen to you. The Rosie Perez, uh, Nicholas Cage movie, <laughs> based on a true story. Um, follow me on Twitter at matwbt, and uh, if you go to uh, matwbt.com, you can see a link to on Am- or search me on Amazon, Matt Bradley Shergi. You can see my books, such as uh, the films of Uwe Boll, Volume One, the video game movies. I'm behind schedule on volumes two and three, so I need to put time into that. And uh, also, uh, Simply the Best, a, a book of interviews with uh, game designers and composers. Thresher. Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at uh, Internet Mayor. Uh, also, I am uh, getting ready to start up a new project that I will be hyping in the future, but I can't really talk about it now. However, uh, if you want to check out my stuff, go on to Etsy, look for a punch in the art. Uh, I sell uh, bumper stickers there, a number of different stickers that I've designed there uh, to suit all your geeky needs. I have a Sabak bumper sticker I'm very proud of. I think your vehicle needs. And if you don't have a vehicle, get a vehicle just so you can put uh, that bumper sticker there. Also, uh, collaborated with my wife on some D&D-themed Christmas ornaments. It's a bobble mm. ornament that contains a map, a character sheet, a pencil, and a full set of gaming dice. Very cool. A punch in the art on Etsy. And, and congratulations on hitting all your stretch goals on Kickstarter, by the way. Yeah, the, the, the enamel pin Kickstarter for Puppy Dragon was a arousing success. Excellent. Very good. Alex? Uh, you can follow me on the Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Uh, weekly, my weekly uh, Criterion Prediction column is um, still kicking. We're going to reach our 300th week, which is kind of nuts. And um, you can also check out the YouTube channel, The Trailer Project, if you want some trailer commentaries and other various fun, random, weird music videos set to freaky horror stuff. So I got to ask, have you ever gone back and like looked at how many of your Criterion Predictions have been correct and how many weren't? Oh, quite frequently, yeah. Cool. Um, 
Mm. It's actually kind of makes it's make it's it makes the monthly unveiling of Criterion new releases all the more fun because I get to see you know sure. who was I right? Um, but yeah, no, I don't know. I don't have a percentage down, but <clears throat> I would say for each week of new releases, there's probably a couple in there that are in the column or were going to be featured in the column. Nice. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, Criterion's really come along. I cannot say enough good things about the Criterion Channel app. It's yeah the way it has the special features preserved on there, and it's just a, a good cur- human curated list of different things. It's uh, yeah, and and to think when Criterion started streaming, it was just a a little nubbin on Hulu. For yeah, the... that's the only reason why I got Hulu Plus back in the day. <laughs> oh, back when it was called Hulu Plus. Yeah. Wow. Streaming. Cool. Boy, howdy. I mean, isn't it so much fun having 20 different streaming apps and trying to find something to watch and there's still <laughs> nothing to watch after all that? I know. I feel like there should be a streaming app for that, like a screensaver for when you're <laughs> looking for things on your various streaming platforms. The one I wish Netflix would do is have an option to um, make a playlist and then share it on social media. That would be awesome because you can do that sort of on Mubi, which is a streaming network that I think. Oh is yeah, M U B I. Yep. Yeah. I got more art house things. Okay. Anyway, we got to wrap this up and go into the next episode, cool. gentlemen. So uh, for sequel cast two, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. This is Alex. Saying. Hey, no, no, man. You're supposed to put the mustard and the ketchup under the hot dog. No, I need to give you wicked farts. I, I want I really want a, a foot long Chicago style. Can you make that, Mr. Policeman? <laughs> I'm the crow. Caca! I'm gonna get you. You know this hot dog is made with crow meat. Oh no, I'm a cannibal too. Caca! Okay. <laughs>